What's up everyone, welcome to episode 52 of the Noise Podcast brought to you by Noise.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host, that's your boy, Chris Pugh. And I'm joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? I am well, looking forward to getting another one started, my friend. Mate, the sun has just started shining after I got absolutely obliterated in rainwater earlier. I was coming back from having my hair cut and I got absolutely fucked down off. Uh, perfect timing, isn't it? Because I'm playing golf tomorrow and uh, just a nice bit of sun as we're about to go back into lockdown. I've got no doubt. What a wonderful time to be alive. <laughs> I'm exactly with you. I was um, I was on the way to a shopping centre in Telford this morning when the heavens opened as well. So it's just been a bit of a disaster for the both of us today. So I can understand entirely. But yeah, man, um, looks, like, uh, looks like me and you'll be recording podcasts um, yards away from each other and miles away from each other for um for a considerable time in the future so shit man um we might as well talk about it now we wanted to do album of the year video this year we wanted to start video in every episode but with this shit going on and it looks like today i mean we're recording this at five to three on a saturday it looks like at four o'clock there's going to be an announcement that we're back into lockdown on an upcoming day so with that uh, you know, it's, it looks like it's going to be a long time till we get the video filming up and running. And I really, really wanted to film Album of the Year this year after the success of last year. It sucks. Eventually, we'll get round to it. But it is a bit of a sting in the tail, isn't it, Sam? Yeah, it, it is. It, it is a bit of a it is a bit of a blow at this point. Hopefully, though, there's still um, I'll still I still have optimism that we can maybe sort something out around Christmas or January. Possibly something that sort of time and see how things go. Um, I'm not going to rule anything out until that point, but yeah, it's it's been a um, it's been a rough few months for everybody. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Though we've got plenty of content coming to keep you busy. That uh, we're a fortnightly rock and metal podcast sponsored by Stereo Brain Records, as I mentioned. Uh, we're available on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, pretty much wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, on our last show, Iron Maiden's Number of the Beast ended at number three in our greatest metal album of all time list. And we had album review on Chambers, Cost of Sacrifice. This week, absolute mammoth week for us. Whole lot of album news to discuss. We've got album reviews coming from Clipping, with visions of, visions of bodies being burned, and Bring Me the Horizons new EP, post-human survival horror. Plus, I did a Chris Meat special with Annie Dorrit from the brilliant uh, Click Drip. You'll remember me and Sam very much enjoying their debut record without the eyes earlier on in the year. And I've been looking forward to getting the opportunity to speak to Annie ever since listening to the album. Interview is coming up right at the end of the episode. Really, really fascinating insight into her views on feminism, intersectional feminism, uh, how Click Trip got started, uh, details on how the album artwork was put together, uh, what it all meant. Really, really great interview one i'm really proud of uh, so absolutely stick around at the end of the show for that it's one of those interviews that i think absolutely everyone should hear annie's viewpoint on several different topics because she's a very intelligent woman and someone that i really really enjoyed speaking to so that's coming up at the end of the show i wanted to mention as well that we've now got a personalized twitter account specifically for me and sam to put our bullshit on that is at noise podcast on twitter you can if you could follow us that would be awesome uh, me and sam is going to be talking shit on there like we usually do on this podcast but in more of an immediate fashion so if you've got twitter and you want to see what me and sam's immediate thoughts are on certain topics you can follow us there that would mean an absolute lot to us uh, we can now finally as well we've known about this for a while talk about power festival that's going to be taking place on the 1st of march 2021 in cardiff 
and tickets are available now at stereobrandrecords.co.uk of course her festival is a festival run by Luke the owner of Starbrand Records that sponsored this podcast and that I have interviewed on the show before. Uh, appearing on the day, you've got Delair the Liar, Bitch Falcon, Night Lives, Click Drip, which is perfect timing, uh, Pet Cemetery, Two Dozen the Hex Sea Park Pity, uh, Salt the Snail, Treehouse, and there's still more to be announced as well. Noise have our own specific stage as well at that festival. So if you could support the festival, that would be absolutely awesome. Uh, I am not going to keep us waiting any longer, Sam, because we've got a lot of stuff ahead of us. Uh, we're going to get straight into the news, Sam. Uh, Miley Cyrus is making a Metallica covers album, Sam. Immediate thoughts. First one's off the top of your head. Um, I would much prefer that she did this rather than releasing any of her own actual material for the next decade. <laughs> yeah. And after listening to her cover of Zombie by the Cranberries, yeah. and yeah. she fucking nailed that, um, I'd be really interested to hear it. She's got a great voice. Got a great voice. I think she'd nail something like Sad But True or I Disappear or Bleeding Me, um, yeah. where she could really, really sort of go in that direction. I don't think she should do the thrash stuff. I just can't, I can't imagine it. She's not going to do Dollars uh, Eve, is she? You know, it's not going to happen. Uh, no, I just, I'm struggling to think how she would tackle something like Blackened. Yeah, she, she's not gonna. She she's gonna do nothing else matters. Enter Sandman, Sad but True, uh, Fade to Black. Uh, I, I mean, you know, I just cannot see a world where she attempts something like Dyer's Eve or Damage Incorporated. <laughs> just, yeah, no, no. Uh, although I'd, I'd I'd really like to hear one on a bonus track somewhere to see what that would sound like. But as long as the band she picks are good, that's gonna matter as well. You know, um, because of the nature of Metallica's songs, then. I'm I'm all ears. I got no I got no I got no issue with her doing it at all. Um, she's got a, she's got a great she's got a great voice and it pays homage to um, a great band. And hey, if it gets a few more people into Metallica, then nothing wrong with that. As no long as they do, also, as long as they also understand that they're covers of Metallica songs rather than being like I love Miley Cyrus doing Enter Sandman. That's my favorite Miley Cyrus song. That'll make me tear my hair out. But apart from that, all in. All in. She got great. She got great voice. No issues for me either. You know, she has got an absolutely tremendous voice. I'm not going to open up Spotify and search for Miley Cyrus songs. Although Wrecking Ball, I think as a pop song, is great for what it is. Fair enough. Fair enough. She and like then oh, absolutely me neither. But for what it is, for a pop song, I think it's a fucking great tune. Yeah, it was announced during a conversation with Interview Magazine, and she they asked what she'd been up to. And she, that's where she revealed. She was like, well, we've been, we've been working on this Metallica cover album, which I've got, what we means, I do not know who, who, where, who we is. Although I do agree with your point that it's going to need to be really more than anything else, music, musicians that really understand what Metallica are and don't try and absolutely replicate that. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't, I, 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 I I don't want to hear. Let's just say the word doing Dyer's Eve. <laughs> they won't do, but let's just say the word. I don't want to hear the the same Dyer's Eve just with Miley Cyrus singing it. I, I if, if they're going to do it, I think they would do it with like Miley Cyrus's pop slant on top of it, right? I assume so, but also I I I, I don't also want to hear um, Metallica deconstructed for the purpose of a pop singer. I think that takes away what it is as well. But surely that's what's going to happen. 
surely there's no other way of do, of doing this. I don't know. I mean, I don't I mean think obviously, so. the, I mean, I, there is another way, but like, I, I, I just think I can't see them going. No, that I, route. I, I think I think she'll pick the mid-tempo hard rock stuff and some ballads and leave them as they are. I, I really think because conceivably, um, she could do until it sleeps without really adjusting any of it. She could probably do Sad But True without adjusting any of it, couldn't she? Um, she would just avoid the ones that would need to, because nobody wants to hear her do like a country version of Unjustice For All. That's not, that's not what we want to hear. Um, but pick the songs that suit your voice. Pick the songs that suit your style. And then sing over those. I don't necessarily want to hear Miley Cyrus's pop production version of Enter Sandman. If I hear Enter Sandman being played over a synth with Miley Cyrus singing over the top of it, that's going to make me much angrier than Miley Cyrus just singing Enter Sandman as is. Um, I just think that would, that would kind of obliterate what the song was supposed to be. Um, but again, I don't think she'll do that. I think she'll pick stuff like The Unforgiven 2 um, and things like that. She might even, because of her original country roots, she might pick something like Mama Said. Yeah, um, or Outlaw Torn. Or oh, I was just like about to love to hear it about Law Torn. Um, and, and really sort of mix it up or do like all within my hands the same sort of way that Metallica did for SNM2. There's lots of options here because Hetfield has occasionally flirted with this sort of country and Western acoustic style at points. And she's got a great voice. I, I just don't want to hear hearing like um, Miley Cyrus do what, like, I don't know. Uh, Rihanna would do to a a, a a Metallica song where it would just be con- like the hook would be taken and just completely interspersed with this entirely different genre. I would like to hear Miley Cyrus sing over a Metallica song in the same way that I heard her sing over the Cranberries. Because she's quite an eccentric pop star, I personally can't see this being Metallica karaoke. I think this would be a Metallica covers album where the bass structure is there, but it's re-engineered to work for her. That's what I envision. Obviously, we don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see when, when that first track gets released. Obviously, there's no date of that or any kind of flirtation of when that could be. But I personally would be surprised if it's Metallica karaoke and Miley Cyrus is singing it. I think that there would be some kind of re-engineering so that it works specifically for her. But I think it I think it's really great that it's happening. I've got to say, I think it's really great that it's happening. She doesn't have to do this. At all. No. In no way, shape, or form does she have to. Molly Cyrus could do absolutely whatever she wants and she's chosen Metallica Covers album. I think that's awesome. And I think that does nothing but good things for uh, metal and all of the branches that spring out of that. Now, of course, there's the absolute tossers that will speak on like, oh, Miley Cyrus doing Metallica, oh, this is a disgrace. You know, those fucking weirdos. Of course, those will still be there. Fuck those guys. They won't be happy with anything that doesn't sound like Master of Puppets. Fuck them. Let them just fucking listen to that album on its own for the rest of their lives. For the most part, I've seen this greeted with happiness and with optimism. And I am happy and optimistic about this, even if it is a re-engineering of Metallica songs that fit Miley Cyrus and they are dumbed down slightly for her. I'm still excited about this. I think it, I think it could be something really cool. I'll be interested to hear it, mate. Interested to hear it. Uh, we're going to move on, Sam. Um, 
really, really fascinating this. Oh, while she sleeps, uh, really have released a title track uh, from their new album, Sleep Society. Now, me and you, huge proponents of While She Sleeps. That won't be news no to doubt. anyone that has listened uh, to this podcast previously. But not necessarily the fact that they've got a new single out, Sam, and a new album coming, uh, which is out on the 16th of April 2021. Did you see the way it was announced and the story behind While She Sleeps' new pathway, I suppose? I didn't. Can you enlighten me? Okay, so while she sleeps, have set up a Patreon account called Sleep Society, a fan-oriented community founded by the band and powered by Patreon. Now there is quite an extensive quote here. Um, I am going to read from about the third paragraph down, just to give a roundabout idea of what's going on. So, okay. The idea behind the society was created after over a decade's experience of this rollercoaster ride that is the music industry. Having overcome mountains of hardship and financial debt, it feels important to share what we've learned along the way with those who are drawn to a similar path as ours. This model will provide a new route for upcoming artists and bands similar to us, using our knowledge and guidance to help achieve a realistic career in the creative industries. The society will ask a membership fee, ranging in different tiers of support, these contributions directly fund the creation and survival of While She Sleeps. The cost will be repaid to the fans with a plethora of informative, exciting and engaging videos, as well as special events to get involved with and many exclusives to members. We'll be sharing full album, album guitar and drum playthroughs, a tutorial series for songwriting, studio production, vocal techniques, art and branding, self-management, videography and much more. There'll be an in-depth look into making the forthcoming album and live stream studio sessions where members can help make decisions in the writing stages of songs, which I think is fucking awesome. Members will get early access to tour tickets, exclusive merchandise, warehouse meetups, events and secret members-only shows, and that's just scratching the surface of what we'll be offering members through the society. Final paragraph that I'm going to read here. Our aim is to deliver a too-good-to-be-true level of rewards for the prices we are asking our supporters to pay, using our individual skills to develop and create entertaining and informative videos, tutorials, ideas, and more for our members. This is us sharing our knowledge and experience in the hope that other artists can take this model and use it for their own. Sam, I am now going to read to you the membership levels on the Sleep Society Patreon. There is support member for $4.99 a month. Uh, for that, you get official digital membership certificates, exclusive video content, early bird access tour tickets, members-only secret shows, access to members-only merch, uh, warehouse meetups, uh, mental health series, access to members-only online community and general support. That's £4, £4.99, sorry. Then you've got the Defiance member, which is £7.99, which includes all the previous benefits, as well as live streaming, recording sessions, recording decision polls. Again, I think that's fucking wicked. Q&A live streams, official drum and guitar run-throughs. Then you've got a mutiny member, which is $19.99 a month, of course, all the previous benefits, as well as uh, access to handmade DIY customizations, in-person songwriting, uh, design management video editing workshops, um, access to regular and ancient demos, lost ideas on new songs, instrumental versions of songs, and 10% off the online merch store. Um, and then finally... There's Revolution member, which is $59.99 a month. Um, all the previous benefits, of course, as well as 
free entry to headline shows, one per tour, three month subscription minimum, access to sound check whenever they're doing headline shows, random special gifts in the mail, personal welcome message, a painted drum head that's signed, and a Sleep Society t shirt, and a screen print and back patch. Dude, I've just fired off a hell of a lot of information to you there. Uh, mate, while she sleeps, are creating a new identity for the music industry, are they not? Absolutely, or at the very least, taking it in a further direction to one that's sort of currently been constructed. The ideas of fan clubs have been around for 20 or 30 oh, years. Oh, yeah, but, yeah. But, um, but what, what While She Sleeps are doing is finally figuring out how to combine the internet with this and create this online community and also fund themselves. I think this is brilliant. Yeah. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Mate, if Metallica did this... <laughs> yeah, fuck. After, like, after like, like three albums in... And I, yeah. I had the internet or something like that. Mate, I'd, I'd be on the £60 a month without even thinking about it. Recording decisions, recording Amazing. holes, Amazing. sound checks, drum, drum heads, free tickets to tours. Like, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're Walsh Sips, your favourite band, the, that is the greatest gift that can be given to you. Now, £60 a month is pricey. But if you think about every time they tour, you get to see them for free and go to the sound check and meet them and get stuff. Then, then that's what you're about. But also, four pound forty nine for free stuff, online communities, early bird tickets is brilliant as well. You're essentially yeah. paying four pound four five a month for O2 priority for your favourite band. Yeah. Now, I've I've been in I've been in the Met Club, which is the Metallica club, on and off at various points. I'll sort of get off the bandwagon when they're going quiet, and then when they're the rumbles about albums coming. I'll jump back on for a couple yeah. of months to see if I can get a cheaper tour ticket or something like that. And that's been brilliant. I I got to I got to see Metallica for a fiver in two thousand eight. It was a Met Club only show, and then I got early bird tickets um, for their last two recent tours. And it just makes a hell of a lot hell of a difference. It really really does. I just think I think this is superb and. I, I just think it's wonderful for the fans and I think it's wonderful that while she sleeps are creating ways to make themselves completely unreliant on the rec- on any record label or any traditional methods of 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 monetizing their band. I think it get any band that can for this level of autonomy is brilliant. And then on top of that, while she sleeps bring out an album like every 18 months and they've all yeah. been really good. Yeah. The like the last one's probably the floor. Um, and it's still really, really, really good. Um, so they treat you really well. There's clearly a, 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 a an intention to create a real community feeling within While She Sleeps fans. Yeah. In the like to sort of mirror the uh, the maggots feeling that Slipknot of of curated and things like that, where it's you know you're part of a real group in a community. And then on top of that, While She Sleeps have been one of the most innovative bands of the last five years. Do you remember the USB thing a couple of Absolutely. years ago where you could find a random USB thing, plug it in a uh, USB, put it into your um, computer and hear a new while she sleeps single. Uh, they were giving out songs and spraying things and doing like random gigs and secret gigs and stuff. I just think it's superb. I think it's absolutely superb. While she sleeps a, a, a trailblazing um, areas where experienced bands have not even thought of doing this. I, I, re- I, I reiterate like while she sleeps are a, a top 10 band for me at the moment. Yeah. Um, but if, like I said, if you if you said if you said Metallica was doing this or Springsteen or After the Burial or Love of God or Slipknot or something like that or 
Well, put the reverse to you. How would you feel if Architects did this? Oh, I'd be all over it. I mean, I, I think I'm going to support this because I, I really love While She Sleeps. Um, and I think this I is an absolute a five month just, like, just on principle, to piece be honest. Piece of piss, yeah, piece of piss. Not an issue Easy. at all. Not an issue uh, at all. Cancel, cancel if you hit hard times. Um, but if you've got the money to do it, and there's not many more bands out there that deserve it more than While She Sleeps, chuck them a fucking father, man. If you hit hard times, you cancel. Simple as that. Yeah, um, Absolutely. What, what I love so much about this, Sam, is that while she sleeps, I've been really vocal about the issues in the 21st century music industry. Yeah. Um, they made that T-shirt, didn't they, stating that buying one T-shirt is like the equivalent to 5,000... Oh, no, 5,000 streams on Spotify equates to minimum wage. Um, and they had like, that big message on the T-shirt. They've been really vocal about their issues with streaming and how that affects a band being your full-time occupation. So do many other bands, but you know what? Put your fucking money where your mouth is. Do you know what I mean? Like loads, loads of bands criticize streaming, but they do fuck all about it. At at least while she sleeps, they're there criticizing the way the music industry is in the modern day. But look at this, look at what they're doing about it. They're actually doing something instead of just moaning on an online forum about, Oh, streaming sucks, doesn't it? And then doing fuck all to do anything different. Look at this. This is fucking genius. This is a great, great idea. I completely agree. And it's not just what most bands have done as a solution, which is just asking that we pay more for T-shirts or or like give them additional donations for what a band does anyway. There's a genuine separation. Now, I was thinking, all right, there's three levels to this. When you were talking, I was thinking, when you got to the second tier, I was like, all right, what's last? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I fucking, do I pay 70 quid a month where I get to be in the band? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. Like, like it's just, it's just, it's extraordinary. But like, legitimately, this is worth the money. Yeah. Um, this is not like um, Sky Sports asking you to pay fifteen pound to watch fucking Crystal Palace against Wolves last night, or Aston Villa against Leeds. This is a well worth increased experience. Um, that just just blow just just blows anything else out of the water. If you are a massive fan of these. Honestly, the prospect, I'm just think, just thinking about that, the prospect of being able to say, oh, my favourite band of this, and every time they tour, I get to go for free, I get to see the sound check, every couple of, every couple of weeks they send me um, T-shirts or bandanas or something I can put on my wall, I've got a personalised video message from the band that I love, every time they record stuff, They'll video and ask me if I want to, how I want to see it done. That is unreal, isn't it? That that is that, that is that is mind blowing, mind blowing. Um, also, what I love as well is the as a musician, I love the musician showing me how to play that song on their instrument thing. Yeah, and t- talking me through that because when you when you start playing an instrument, all you want to do is learn your favourite band stuff, and you spend hours just slaving away over tabs and youtube videos and to actually have like a video where the guy himself is like you know i'll put my finger here and then i'll do this that that's just fantastic that is really really terrific and then on top of that the online community stuff and mental health stuff i mean there's just so much good here there's so much good here and i've i actually i really love while she sleeps music but i love even more who they are as a band yeah absolutely like like I just respect this so much. And like I said, I hope this catches on. 
I, I really, I really, really hope this catches on um, because that's the um, that's the thing that bands can offer that can't be replicated because you know as much as I do. Um, growing up the last sort of ten years, listening to alternative music, these bands become heroes. Yeah, to people in their late teens and early twenties, and to us. These yeah. guys become idols. Do you know what I mean? People that we not look up to, but people that we respect and revere. You know, when, when we find out that artists have political views that, are, that we agree with, we're like, oh, I like you even more now. And when, yeah. they, when we find out people that care about the environment and care about politics and trying to help things, that's like, oh, that's, that's my guy. And when, when it happens the other way, there's a real sting of disappointment. And when you find out bands like this, can offer the chances to let fans into their world a little bit. And also fans can feel that they're contributing to keeping that band alive by doing so. So it's like, I get to go to your sound check and you get to continue as a band because I did that. Like where's, where's, where's the, where's the harm? It's, it's, it's fantastic. I really hope this is, I really hope this is continued throughout. I think this is a tremendous idea that I hope catches on. Just to give a roundabout idea of how successful it's been, uh, there's 2,264 patrons. So even if they all went for the £4.99 model, that's 10 grand a month going to the band. Um, but obviously they haven't done that because the Revolution member, uh, which is £60 a month, that's sold out. You can't, you can't do that. Um, and the Mutiny member, which is £20 a month, that's sold out as well. For me and you, Sam, we can only be a support member for 4 99 or a Defiance member for 7 99 So obviously, this has been gobbled up. <laughs> but this has obviously been gobbled up. That's phenomenal. Up. That's it's phenomenal. Been... So it's, it's not even going to be £10,000 a month, is it? It's probably going to be looking at 20 Yeah, maybe. Five. Yeah. Good, good for them. Good for Man, them. If, if that 100 grand extra a year. Great. So feed your families. Because that, that's what shit is when you have great bands... Like we were talking, we've talked, we both talking to Alex from Malevolence, and he's like, Yeah, we go on tour and we come back and do work. Yeah, we go back to jobs. That's bullshit. You're a yeah. great band. Yeah, people are paying a tenner each to come and see you, even if not more so. It's it's ridiculous. These are professional musicians and they deserve to be paid as such. I, I, everything about me aligns to this from like a liberal unionist standpoint to yeah. a musicianship standpoint to a I'm, I'm spiritually, politically, emotionally, and logistically all in on this idea. I adore it. Take fucking money away from all these, all these pricks that own um, record labels that are trying to monopolize the music industry and have for 50 years go fuck themselves. But fans for bands and money for bands. I'm all in. This is brilliant. It's like the singles almost secondary, right? Because the singles great as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it, I, I'm it really is, into it. It is, it is great. <laughs> It's absolutely fantastic. It's it's classic sleeps. It's all it needed to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> April 16th, 2021, the new album, Sleep Society. It's going to sound like this for 12 tracks. Me and you are going to fucking love it. It's going to be in our album of the year listening. There it is. Yeah, um, pretty, Loz, pretty much Loz, does it. It blows my mind that after like five or six vocal surgeries, Lars still controls a song the way he does. Matt Welsh, fucking hell, mate. He sounds brilliant on this when he comes in with that clean chorus at the end. Uh, amazing. They're brilliant. Completely I agreed. love them. Completely agreed. It has everything I love in a sleep slung. Um, it's got the group vocals, got that sick guitar line. Yep. That sleeps guitar tone that yep. just, just never sounds like anything else. Uh, it's a brilliant song. It's going to be a very good album. Uh, it's going to be an 8 out of 10 at the very least. Like you said, it's going to be a top 10 album of the year contender. 
um, seems to get a tour again. It's going to be fucking wicked. And they're going to make 40% more money than anybody else in the same size band. And they absolutely deserve it. Shout to them. Shout to them. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to move on, Sam. Um, Architects, brand new single, Animals. Their ninth and self-produced album, for those that wish to exist, is out on the 26th of February next year. Uh, there's going to have, going to have features on there from Winston McCall, Parkway Drive, uh, Mike Kerr from Royal Blood, and Simon Neal from Biffy Clyro Lol. Um, the band... Uh, are going to be playing a live stream from Royal Albert Hall on November 21st as well. Tickets are up now if you want to be part of that. Um, first of all, let's quickly mention, dude, the idea that architects are playing Royal Albert Hall. I mean, I don't think there's anything I could love more in the world than that sentence. Yes. That, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's a gorgeous venue as well. It's an utterly gorgeous venue. That live stream is going to be wicked. I wonder if there's an orchestra accompaniment. See, I can't of, find because of, confirmation because of the, the history. Because the history of the venue, I mean, they have the fucking proms there, um, and and it just, I think that would be superb. And they've they've experimented with stuff like that across their albums, especially on Holy Hell. Um, there's some stuff there, and I think that would be, that would be remarkable. Um, but I think actually, I think the the imagery of having a metal band in Albert Hall with no audience would be so haunting and compelling. Yeah. yeah. I think that I think that'd be absolutely wicked. The the idea of them playing the tunes and it being dead silent afterwards. Yeah. Like I'm well in I'm well into that. Um I'd be surprised if there was a full orchestra accompaniment because of the pandemic and stuff. Um, but I haven't seen it confirmed that there is or there isn't, although I do feel like if there was gonna be, it would have been in the press in the press release that oh by the way, there's a fucking orchestra with them as well. How awesome is that for architects? So I'd assume there won't be, but regardless, there aren't many things I love more than the sound of that sentence. Architects at Royal, Al- Royal Albert Hall. That's fucking amazing. For the journey this band have been on, for how long they've been doing it for, how long they had to fight and claw for every single fan, for them to then now be at a point where they can just fucking live stream from Royal Albert Hall. God, I mean, it just fills me up with really unbridled joy because I don't think any fucking band deserves it more than Architects. I, oh, I'm not going to go on a tangent about how much I love them because everyone already knows. Um, what we will talk about instead, Sam, is Animals, the track, a lead single from new album. Um, we, of course, when it was first released, of course, me, you and our best friend Leon were talking about it uh, in our group chat. You seemed a bit lukewarm to it. Mm-hmm. Have you, has, has there been a continuous heating for you or, or, or are you still uh, lukewarm? No, I really like the song. I really like the song. Um, in a vacuum, I think it's really great. Um, yeah. I think it's a great riff. I think it's a great chorus. Um, I think that it's got like a sledgehammer hitting a sword on a br- on a brick type snare drum sound. Yeah, that I like. I can't just. It, it, there's the scene in Lord of the Rings where he's hitting a sword with a hammer and it just makes this big iron noise every time the hammer hits and it just sounds like that, like Slipknot-esque. And I love that. I'm only lukewarm because I think, is this is this what the album is going to be? Um, is this an indication? So I, I like the song in isolation, but I'm, I think I might, I might be lukewarm 
to the direction that this indicates, if that makes sense. Yeah, I does. love the song, but I, I love the song, but I'm unsure what it means. Yeah. Um, so because I, I think I, I think I think this is terrific. I really think this is a great song. Um, but I assume, say for the sake of argument, if if the album sounds like this in totality, they're not all going to be as hooky as that, which means that it might feel a little bit slow and it might feel a little bit, uh, I don't know what the word is, sort of, it might dilute what architects have been great at, which is their intensity. And I'm worried about them losing that a little bit. Um, I hope that the album is um, really, really great, obviously, but also combines this type of song, which is slower, which is lighter, uh, which is more methodical, a bit more Parkway Drive, new album, a bit more Black Album, that type of stuff. And I hope that that's still juxtaposed with the intensity and the fast pace and the brutality that have brought so many people flocking to Architect Sound. I don't want them to, to toy with that entirely. So I, I'm lukewarm about the direction that this possibly indicates, but the song itself is great. I'm massive on the song. I think the song is fucking brilliant. I think Sam Carter sounds amazing on it. He um, does. A, a, a style of vocal from him that we are yet to hear so much at the forefront. Like he's he's done the parts like on Doomsday where he does like the quiet spoken word twists. But on Animals, he's very much at the forefront, not screaming. He's singing on it. Uh, and that, I, I think he sounds brilliant. I love the synths. I think it really works. The main thing for me is that when I was I was watching like the reveal of Animals and then the reveal of the Royal Albert Hall show, uh, Dan Searle, the drummer, said that Lost Forever, Lost Together, All Our Gods Have Abandoned Us and Holy Hell was very much a trio of a... St- they were very much a trio. They were very much a story. And what I feel is that that story has now ended and then we move on then to the next chapter. I, I put it to you, I would like to put it to you, Sam, that I believe that Holy Hell was the greatest British modern metal record since Sempaternal. My, that's my personal belief. Um, I don't see how you improve upon that without sounding like a different band. I think that's fair. I think that's also fair. I also think it's better than Sempaternal. So, if anything, my my opinion well, strengthens your I prefer it to Sempaternal as, but I think object. I think objectively, I think it would that my statement would fly. Personally, I think it's the best British modern modern metal record of the last ten years. But I, you know, I think even just to be fairer and more objective, if I say since Sempaternal, I think it's definitely the best British modern record, modern metal record since then paternal. Um, yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. But yeah, I just, I just don't see where else architects could have gone without changing that, without changing their style. They were never going to do Holy Hell 2 because they've never done any record part two. Do you know what I mean? That's not what, what, what architects are. They, they move on and build to the next thing. And I think this idea where architects are going to be playing with, uh, the conceptual idea of synths and um, uh, perhaps more techno elements in the music. I think that is really, really fucking exciting because I genuinely trust Dan Searle. Obviously, past the mantle of being lead songwriter after his brother Tom tragically died, I really trust Dan. Look at what fucking Holy Hell turned out like. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now I've got absolute concrete faith in um, in Architect's ability to write a brilliant album, and I think actually, looking from a devil's advocate, this might open up for them to be more experimental in a completely different way. Um, they could go in like a, an electronic direction. They could do a concept album. They could be like slower, more emotive, more atmospheric, and that could be terrific. They could go more go a more progressive direction, whatever. Well, also, I think, I think the features are really exciting. I think the features are really exciting. Winston McCall, Mike Kerr, and Simon yeah, two Neal. of them. Two of them are, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, but even, even for you as someone who, who, who doesn't like Biffy Caro, just the idea of architects working with one of the biggest rock bands or the front man of one of the biggest rock bands in it's the a, country. It's a symbol of their progression and size. Yeah, no, no doubt, go. no doubt about it. We'll no doubt that. about it. We'll Thank it. you. Um, um, I am, de- I am desperately looking forward to for those that wish to exist, which is out on the 26th of February next year. I'm already thinking about it. Um, I'm assuming you are as well, Sam. Oh yeah, um, Architects have become one of the um, the headline bands of our genre uh, and one of the staples of the genre alongside. Um, the band that we're going to talk to at the conclusion of our show. And every move they make is incredibly important to the genre's strength as a whole. But luckily, they've got, I've got such faith in them as songwriters, I, I, I'm not too worried. That being said, on the flip side, um, this will be the, the trio has ended and obviously um, the songwriting structure will change and the material was there after Tom Searle's passing. This is a very important album. It is for for the future of of Architects as a band. This is, um, you know, Metallica post Cliff. This is ACDC post Bon Scott. The first time now, I I, I know that that um, that they had uh, the guitarist from Silosis whose name escapes me. And he he did an absolutely phenomenal. Thank you, Josh Middleton did an absolutely fantastic job. But the story was, confirm if I'm wrong, that the majority of stuff had been written that Josh Middleton sort of plugged in near the end of that process. Um, so I would like now to hear how he does solo. Now, this is the Silosis. They're a fucking, he's a great songwriter. Yes. So I'm interested to see how that, that, that combines. But I'm not going to deny that this is absolutely a landmark watershed potential moment for architects to, to move further in the direction towards towards the bring me the horizons of the world if this goes well architects will be massive forever then oh, this, is the, this is the this is the this is, this is the album like so the trio that's led to this has led them to alexandra palace and albert hall this album will get them on the download headline bill if it goes well i think you're right if it goes well if i, I agree if the, if this sells like two to three million copies and also top Spotify chart lists and headline shows of like an NIA, NEC type standard, then architects will be on the top of a bill of download over the next three to five years, as they should be. Can we move on to our album reviews, Sam? We're going to start with clipping Visions of Bodies Being Burned. Now, both the albums or album and EP that we're going to talk about on this show are already out, which is unlike us. Usually we pick albums that are coming out in the future however we didn't get the bring me the horizon ep early and for clipping i only recently heard of them 
and me and Sam had a conversation. It was very, very apparent that we desperately, desperately wanted to talk about them, regardless of the fact the album's already out. So Visions of Bodies Being Burned is out now on Sub Pop Records. It came out Friday the 23rd. Uh, clipping, for those who aren't familiar, I'd imagine most people aren't, actually. Uh, they're an experimental hip-hop group. Uh, the rapper is called David Diggs, and there's two producers, uh, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes. Um, Visions of Bodies Being Burned is their fourth album in six years, and it follows on from last year's Their Existing Addiction to Blood. Uh, two records in two years is particularly impressive for me. Um, I heard about this band on Twitter. A few of the r- music journalists that I really respect uh, were talking all day, ad nauseum, about how great this new hip-hop album was by this band called Clipping. And uh, I saw people referencing Code Orange and Dr. Dre, and I was like, fuck off, from a hip-hop band. I mean, oh, Dr. Dre, obviously, I understand. But Code Orange, what the fuck, no chance. So I had to check it out. Um, I messaged you, Sam, 20 minutes into listening to it, if you remember, and I was like, dude, there's this hip-hop group called Clipping, and I swear to God, you have to fucking listen to this album. Do you remember? I do. I've never heard anything like this, Sam. It's really difficult to pick up what to discuss first. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, this is um, this is a really, really, really interesting, compelling, deliberately discut- disconcerting album. Um, I've never quite heard hip-hop like this. Um, I've heard hip-hop address this sort of subject matter um but not in the manner that this is this is a dystopian a dystopia that i've never heard associated with this type of music really at all um there are there are moments where this is genuinely unsettling yeah um there are moments when this is so so incredibly dark um that it's it's uncomfortable at times to listen in detail to some of the lyrics um but overall i would say that this is as compelling, compelling and interesting, engaging and frankly astonishing hip hop album I've I've heard in a, in three to five years, if not it much longer. This has got the the lyrical content of like Outcast combined with early years Eminem, juxtaposed with a and I mean this early Slipknot soundtrack yeah horror vibe that combines to make this murderer's row combination of of jaw-dropping lyrical content and genuinely disconcerting mixing and production styles and soundtracks um there are points when it's just him over this very low beat and even that is dis- disconcerting in the sense that there's no real backing track and you're just focusing on him. And then it's so nervous and unsettling. I think I think this is really, really, really good. I just it's very difficult to explain why. Yeah. But it's very, very, really good. Um, but I I just think I just think it's it's incredibly smart and incredibly dark, and I'm very impressed by it. It's really sadistic, isn't it, this album? <laughs> yeah, yes, yes it is. But it, it's strange because, you know, people at home listening to this, you, you would think Chris has just said Nam's really sadistic. They're going to think Chamber, Cost of Sacrifice. But it's no, not. No, no. No, no, it's, no, no, It's sadistic in how minimalistic it is. 
the production style on this album is one of the most interesting production styles I've ever heard in my entire life. Listening to all the albums I've ever heard, it is absolutely mind-boggling. Um, I don't know whether you remember the start of Say the Name. It starts with like that deep voice uttering the name of the album yep. on repeat. Yeah, very now, faceless Yeah, yeah. That's something you've heard in hip hop a million times. So when I was, because this is that's like the second that second song on the album, mate. Right? From and yeah, the intro. yeah, it's after the intro. Yeah, yeah, the intro is just like a standard intro. So I then expected, it to, oh, this is probably going to be like a really high quality rap album, but it won't be anything out of the ordinary. And then David starts and it goes silent. What while while this flow starts picking up. And yeah. I was like, "Fucking hell!" This, uh, you know, took me back. And I'm, li- and I'm, lis- I'm listening, and mate, I just, I listen to this album, and I get fixated on him. Oh I god, am, yeah. I it... hang on his every word. Yeah, this is um, this, this is not. This is going to be a, a. It sounds like a cliched point, but uh, this album, more than any rap album I have heard since, I don't know, maybe ASAP Rocky, like five or six, seven years ago. Does it is it so abundantly clear that rap is poetry? Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the the clarity with which he speaks, the and and I'm and I'm in. This is where I'm going to tap into. But I'm an English teacher here, so hearing 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 stories and lyrics told in this way, with his use of language, his choices of syllables, his sibilance, his his rhyming patterns, and his ability to mix mix phrasing together is a joy. Is a joy. And the pace in which he can speed up to and slow down to at his will is, is extraordinary. There is a song I'd like to talk about um, early on in the album, um, Something Underneath. Oh, my God, no, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> oh, my God, it's incredible, where, yeah. Where it builds. Yeah. builds and builds. It's amazing. And his pace, of his, his pace of his lyrics increase as they go along. That's astonishing. Yeah. That is astonishing. Um it's but it's very smart it's very cool and then it kicks into later on it gets to pain every day and i'm like what is this <laughs> like it, i was listening i was listening to it that terrible mistake headphones 11 o'clock at night fuck and and it was kicking into this when he's talking about um chasing people till they die yeah and is it is it hurted scream hurt until she screams yeah i know it's what you're on about and, and that sort of stuff and it's like fuck me and it's deliberately repeated so it's sort of jarring but the fact is you never realized that even even the even the the absence of a backing drop backing track is unsettling because we're so used to as listeners to having a foundation to remind us that it's a song yeah like subconsciously. So when that's taken away, the even the idea of a narrative, which would previously be comforting, or the idea of a repetitive melody is taken away. It, 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 feel, it feels like I'm trapped in a dystopian horror movie conversation. And his, his lyrics are just extraordinary. My favourite is Check the Lock. That's a bad, um, yeah, it's wicked. There's a hypnotic groove here that goes on, but he's, it's, it's all about his storyline and the build-up of his paranoia, the character looking around and checking the, checking the cars and constantly having them to look out for someone behind him that's going to kill him. And also, I want to shout out, because this is probably going to sound like the most um, white, white male point ever, and I really don't mean it to come across this way. 
it's refreshing to hear a hip hop album, just refreshing because it's different, that speaks about the honesty of what doing illegal activities and drugs and that side of society. It's refreshing to hear that told in a cynical, bloody, gory, open yeah. manner rather than the glorification I have often heard. And the money the glamour- it makes and stuff, yeah. The, glamour- the glamorising of that. Now, I've got no issue with that whatsoever as itself. I love Dr. Dre, love Snoop Dogg, love uh, NWA, love all this sort of stuff. But to hear the dystopia and the poverty and the paranoia and the drugs and the murders and the blood and the boil and the trap houses told in so much descriptive Dickensian detail. I live for that because that is a open and honest portrayal of something that is a societal ill. And he's been told in the same sort of bloody lustful, um, dense language i think this is 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 really 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 terrific um it's a must listen yeah for anybody that has even the passing interest in hip-hop or even the idea of music as social commentary this is absolutely terrific um and it's just it's it's a combination of of poetry and horror music soundtracking under this backdrop of hip hop, and I just think it's it, it, it's it's absurdly good. Um, it's also hard to say if I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. Um, like, will I be bumping this in the bus? Probably not. Um, but I will definitely listen to this again, and and a few times after that because it is just an astonishing album. Um, and it it. it it hits the same sort of emotive ranges in the same way that you watch a scary movie or a documentary about something that frightens you or the news or something like that. It ticks to that dark, lustful um, curiosity and, and morbid and, and morbid engagement that we have with these sort of horrible things. Um, but the, the star and the, the main focus is the lyrical content and the way that it's, the way that it's wrapped and the way that it is produced and the musical package that allows this lyrical content to come forth, which from a linguistic standpoint, I would, I've considered at least three or four times finding the lyrics, printing them off and using them for like English language lessons. Yeah. I was like thinking, do you know what mate? I was thinking it while I was listening to the, while I, was to the I was like, Sam, if he could find like a clean song with no swearing, Sam could really show this to like his GCSE or A level students, man. And they'd really pick up a lot from it. Absolutely. Um, just because the it's not just the language and the word choices, it's the way that he structured the rhythm of those words and separated it based on um, the suffixes and prefixes and the way that the phonology of the words, the way that they sound um, at its base level, it's a collection of noises. Um, it's just it's just fantastic. Um, this is, man, th- th- this is a must listen for whatever yeah. reason. It's a must listen. I love 96 Neve Campbell either with uh, the guest from Cam and China, if I remember correct. It's like yeah, that yeah. story about that really badass woman that like, that might like sent, I'll describe as like a serial killer. You know, um, I've been listening to this album while I've been in the gym and every time that song comes on, I just stop what I'm doing. I just, I just stop what I'm doing and sit and listen to it for like two, two and a half minutes. 
because it's fucking so interesting the way that story is told. Um, and another one that I picked up on that I absolutely loved is actually one of the very, very few tracks where there is actually a lot going on in terms of the production. Uh, Looking Like Meat, which has got horror as a feature, um, HO9909, um, in an album full of aggression, that is the angriest song on here and fucking out his flow and the techno beat that sits, and sits underneath him. It is he's fucking beautiful. And I think that I understand the Code Orange reference and going in, I thought, how could this be possible? But obviously that reference sits yeah, in, the, it it, in the way that it's produced and the way that audible silence is used as an accent. Like, as you were mentioning, there are, there are moments in this album where it is David silence and the occasional like clanging sound behind him and that is it and it is unlike anything i've ever heard i i am entirely with you this is a must listen this is i i fucking love that i fucking love this um i i think this will will absolutely be in my list at the end of the year this is a really special album uh, I'm going to go back and listen to uh, clippings of the stuff. Supposedly, um, there existed an addiction to blood is a great album as well. So I'll go back and check that out. But this uh, visions of bodies being burned, unlike anything I've ever heard, truly unique. How difficult is that to say in music these days? And yeah, there's not a person, there's not a person I know who shouldn't listen to this. Even my, 41-year-old sister whose favourite artist is Stereophonics. You know, even she should hear this because there's nothing else like it. This is incredible. It's, um, it feels... I've spoken about this a couple of times. Um, this feels special in the moment. Yeah. Um, this is one of those albums that does that. I said this about Creeper. I said this about Architects. Um, when they released Holy Hell, this feels like a landmark album in the moment. Um, because I have a limited awareness of modern hip hop. Me too. Um, so I, I can't, I can't sit and uh, can sort of spin it ad nauseum about how this is the continuation of whatever where the genre has been going. But I genuinely think if Drake did an album like this, the world would implode. <laughs> yeah. If they, like just just in terms of the, the way that it's structured and stuff, people would be like, is he, is he all right? Like what's yeah. going on? Um, but this is, this is a affirmation that hip hop as much as any other genre um, can capture the cynicism and darkness of our world as well as anybody. And a reminder that at its heart, hip hop is, is poetry. It's it's take it's taken it's taken right back to its linguistic roots, rather than an opportunity to you know scream empty mantras over overproduced beats. This is taking it back to its absolute Spartan roots, and then juxtaposing it with this horror soundtrack as well. I've never quite heard anything like this, and that's the best way I can recommend it. We we literally review music every two weeks. Yeah, I listen to thousands of artists a year. We both do. I have never heard anything like this. Just before my interview with Annie from Clip Trip comes up to close the show, uh, Bring Me the Horizons post-human survival horror uh, is out now on Sony Music. Uh, it's the follow-up to their 2019 number one album, Ammo, as well as the EP that followed that, 
called Music 2. Uh, I never really bothered uh, with that uh, EP because apparently it was an hour and a half long. And I thought, I'm not doing this. I'm not listening to an EP uh, for an hour and a half. And supposedly it was just, it sounded to me the way it was described, like the EP was just some spare stuff that I had left out from Ammo that they decided to fuck about with for a bit longer and then put onto a record. Um, so it's one of those EPs that I'll go back to and listen to at some point, but it came out at a strange time and I can't just let it uh, fly over my head. Um, but Post-Human Survival Horror is said to be the first of a series of EPs that will be coming our way over the near future, over the next year or so. Uh, Sam, I think this is a vital timestamp in Brimming the Horizon's career. Um, they've never been bigger than what they are right now, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, agreed. Um, they've traversed out of metal with an, uh, with absolute success. I mean, yeah, and there really is, I can't emphasise that enough. <laughs> they've traversed outside of metal and done better than they ever did inside the realms of it. Um, they've earned themselves free reign to do pretty much whatever they're pleased with their music. People will buy it because it's Bring Me The Horizon and that's where they are now. Um, I saw them head by all points east last year. Supposedly the ticket sales weren't great for that day, but you know, after being originally quite lukewarm on ammo, I watched that show and I was certain that okay, bring me all the superstar band of this generation. I came back and I said that on the podcast. Um, Sam, as we get into this, I am so so pleasantly surprised by what this EP offers. I completely agree, I think this is terrific. And a reminder that at any point. Don't ever think that they can't. At any point, Ollie Sykes can flip the switch yeah. and be like, oh, let's be the best metal band in Britain again. Yeah. And flip that switch, and then they are. It's seamless. They can just decide, oh, you see that sepaternal button just on the far right dashboard next to the fucking pop metal button next to the do whatever the fuck we want button. Press that one, and we'll be the best metal band in the world for an hour and a half again. And it's like, all right, cool. Um because they absolutely are, yeah. and they absolutely sound once again like um, the most pioneering, indomitable, and exciting alternative band in Britain, if not the world. At the touch of a, at the, at the flick of a switch, at the touch of a button, um, they have not been involved in metal really since 2015. Before yeah. the production of that, uh, before the production of that's a spirit, that's five years, and they have just fucked off and come back and dominated again, like yeah. Michael Jordan retiring in '93, coming back in '95 and winning the title. It's like, oh, we noticed that you guys haven't decided who's the champion yet. Oh, we'll just come back and we'll come back and take that for ourselves. Then, if no one's going to have it, <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like Ollie Sykes took a step back and tried to find out who the competition was for five years before just wading back into the pool and taking it for themselves. It's, it's extraordinary. Um, just starting off with Dear Diary. Oh my God, Sam. <laughs> I was, uh, when, I, when I woke up on Friday, I was like, right, new Bring Me EP. Um, let's chuck it on, see what we're saying. Dear Diary starts, and I was like, hang on. Fucking hell. He's going for it. He's going for it. And then fucking... Mate, like a horse coming around the final yeah. track. Go yeah. on! Run. <laughs> and then, mate, Lee Malia drops him with that fucking Slayer riff. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I can't believe this. They're doing it. They're doing it. Yeah. Mate, it dear diary, holy shit. Extraordinary. What What was the, the real symbol for me? It was not just that it was heavy. It was, it was fast. Yeah, yeah. 
I was like, holy Brutal. fuck, this is this is this is hardcore again. This is thrash esque again. And then it kicks back in with sort of like that there's a there's a particular groove to bring this breakdown. Yeah. Where they have they have mastered this beyond any other band, where it's a breakdown that you can dance to. Yeah. And that bass line, bow, 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 it's absolutely it's a it's a hook that that reverberates into your skin. It's immediately hook laden and catchy, kicks in with an incredible breakdown and reminds you once again that at any point, Bring Me the Horizon can be the hardest, heaviest, fastest, and also compelling and, and hook laden alternative band in the business within three to four minutes. Um, it, it's, it's an extraordinary start. Um, after that, obviously, it goes into Paradise Even Teardrops, which were terrific singles. And now within the context of this EP, send right at home. Yep. Um, Paradise Eve, I think, is terrific. And the, and the fact that I've heard it for now, like a few months, has not taken away how great that sounds, especially um, the heavy chorus. I think Teardrops is a Linkin Park-esque song. We've spoken about this. Mm-hmm. And also affirms that they, again, not just the, one of the heavier bands, if they want to be, they write some of the best choruses uh, of, of, any, of, any, of any band or a modern alternative a modern alternative band I've ever heard. Um, I want to skip through our bio because, again, we've heard it, we've reviewed it. Um, the greatest achievement of this EP is the fact that it, it makes Baby Metal eminently listenable <laughs> <laughs> on, on, on King Slayer um, because the juxtaposition of Ollie's deep growls and the girl from Baby Metal's high-pitched vocals work really fucking well. They do. They and do. the combination of that... And a drum and bass, like heavier version of early pendulum, all combined together, is this like whirlwind of chaotic sound that is just terrific. Oh, and um, any of those rumours that Ollie can't do that anymore, he can't. Nonsense. Absolutely, he's just choosing not to. Yeah, absolutely choosing not to. At any point, he's the he's the Axel Rose of British music in, in the 21st century. He is its greatest frontman, most compelling personality, and arguably its most talented as well. At any point, he can do this. Don't ever forget that he can't. It's extraordinary. Um, I think 1v1 is great. I know you love that. Oh. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic song. Um, and again, a reminder of their incredible hook. But I want to talk about, I could just call it Butterflies. For the sake of, oh uh, yeah, I, I I referred to it, uh, one day the only butterflies. Yeah, so I know which one you wrote. The final track with Amy Lee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's astonishing. Um, it's beautiful. It's haunting. Um, it there's a real cascading, beautiful pop melody to this. Um, when, especially when she repeats "Wrap my arms, wrap my arms around you," I think that's just gorgeous. There's a there's a real Broadway theatricality to it that combines when they when they harmonise together. It's just beautiful. And again, um, this is they're the ultimate chameleon band. Um, they can at the drop of a hat do a, a metal song and a pop song, a synth electronic song, and they are superb at all of them. This is why they didn't want to stay in metal because they are so much more than that. Yeah. But at any point, they are going to be, they can be the greatest, the greatest metal band we have in in, in the UK at the moment, if not beyond that. I think I agree. This is a landmark watershed moment for Bring Me The Horizon. And also a big fuck you to everybody in the metal community that thinks that they can't do what they 
what they what they evidently can, and are just choosing not to. I think this is a, a mammoth achievement and a reminder that bring me the horizon of the preeminent preeminent alternative band this century and that will not change for at least another 10 to 15 years provided that they continue to continue to produce music like this it's a cracking cracking ep an incredible achievement if they continue to pump this stuff out I th- I, it's absurd that the level of um, the level of music that they've been able to produce this is fantastic in every way i adore this and I think, Sam, that this is Jordan Fish's greatest contributions to bring me. So I thought Ammo would always be his real moment in the spotlight. But I actually think the prophecy for him is fulfilled on this EP because the way he produces and adds synths into Parasite Eve, Teardrops and Obey gives abs completely new dynamics to the track. And I think that makes him the EP's quote-unquote star even with ollie involved um how do you feel about that yeah i i i think i think his, his contribution here is, is superb I, I can't i can't argue with that in the slightest um i don't want to go i don't want to go down recency bias right because i've listened to this for three days you know what i mean i don't want to be like this is the greatest thing that he's contributed but it absolutely feels the most impactful thing he's contributed yeah. um, for, for some significant time. Um, it's Just also because, worth point- because it adds such a new dynamic is what I mean. Like, yeah, I, no, I, I, Parasite, E.T. Drops Now Bay, I think would sound like normal rock songs without him. I think, that's, I, think that's, I think that's fair. But also, if you... I'm not too sure. I think if you look at Jordan Fish's contribution... That they would they would sound like more traditional metal songs, but they'd it's still, still sound like yeah, they'd still sound like Bring Me. So, and they have Bring Me have a certain type of touch to them, don't they? With the with the sort of sound effects they use and the little shifts of of guitars, and I think that would still exist. Um, it's hard to know what they'd sound like without him, but I of course. I also I also think that the ammo the achievement of ammo was was a much greater shift away from that's the spirit there was a greater leap from that's the spirit to ammo in terms of the electronics and the sound effects and the style of the music right whereas this is actually more of a chronologically speaking more of a, a reversion to sort of more heavier bring me and i think that sandwiches together a little bit um i'm going to reserve judgment until a full album comes out at some point in the future to judge Jordan Fisher's future accomplishments. But right now, for me, Amma would be the leader of the clubhouse because I think that leap was greater on a longer on a longer album, a longer piece of work. I think this EP is fucking intelligent as well. Like, the selection of guest features, um, it proves, once again, bringing his foresight and genius. Did they need Youngblood on our bay? Absolutely fucking not. In fact, personally, I would have preferred to have heard Ollie. Just he adds nothing. Just for the, yeah, he, he adds nothing. He adds nothing. I would have preferred to have just heard Ollie for the entire track, to be honest. But including him just furthers their reach. Now, to be fair, you would imagine that your average young blood flan, young blood flan, young blood fan, <laughs> is already aware of Bring With Horizon, or you would assume, regardless of that, still including him just gets that song in more ears. Incredibly intelligent. Um, I actually feel slightly differently about the bi-metal feature because I feel they genuinely bring something unique to the track. 
like which is yeah, fucking crushingly heavy that song is and I absolutely love that and I really like their addition and to hear Ollie growling again really is a delightful moment and also he's for one of his final lyrics is, is this what you want because it's what you'll fucking get oh mate he's just the best I love him um, I love that moment I love uh, Kingslayer with, with Bad Metal on, uh, and it's, it's for me it's the best thing Bad Metal have ever put their name to and supposedly uh, you know Ollie, Ollie adores Bad Metal he, he loves them um, and they've never been really for me and you, but when you when you put Biomel in this atmosphere, it really fucking works. I'm absolutely with you there. Um, it would be criminal if I didn't mention in general Ollie's unbelievable range on this album. Yes. Can you? Who knew that he could like croon across tracks like he does on One Day of the Only Butterflies? It's who knew? It's, it's, it, I, I, I mean, he's de- he's dipped his toe into it at times, hasn't he? Um, like you listen to something like the snake start to sing on the verse there when it's whispery yeah. and sort of light-hearted, um, light-hearted. It's a dark song, but in in terms of the, the the depth of his voice, but like this, he sounds he sounds like a pop singer. He does, um, and I mean, I mean, I mean that's a compliment. But also, who knew he could write songs like this? Yeah, amazing. Um, and to have Amy Lee as well from Evanescence again, what a brilliant, per- perfect oh, guest feature for this song. Perfect. Like, I'd, I completely agree. Uh, her voice, amazing. Oh my, oh my god, oh my god. Say what you like about Evanescence, and I think they have their place um, in the history of our genre. But her voice is just gorgeous, yeah, absolutely gorgeous, haunting and powerful, and just works perfectly um, with with Ollie's voice um, harmonising on this and sort of going back and forth here. I, I just. It's it's one it's wonderful. It really really is wonderful, and actually, it's a reaffirmation of Bring Me's place uh, among among the alternative music elite. Yeah, one by one's my favourite Bring Me track since Doomed. Um, it's got the best court pop chorus I've heard this year. And uh, lyrics are simplistic, but they've really struck a chord with me at the moment, which I think always you know it matters. I, I've got like a real personal investment in the lyrics uh, for one by one. Uh, for me personally as we speak uh, but uh, another thing as well it's amazing that they chose a young duo like Nova Twins because they need the exposure and similar to when uh, Ollie brought on the lead singer from Lauta Sita um, to do Antivist uh, at All Points East bring me are amazing at giving back to a scene that's been arseholes to them <laughs> do you know what I mean yeah. they're, ama- they're yeah. amazing like, like, even, and, like, the, even this EP as a whole is a gift to us yeah it, it is like and that's kind of what I just to revert back to my original point. They didn't have to do this. They could have. They could have done another EP of exactly what Ammo was. It would have fucking sold loads. It would have been plastered all over social media. Everyone would have been listening to it. Everyone would have had an opinion on it. But instead, they broke this brilliant, fucking excellent modern metal, modern alternative record. Um, and I think this is. I think this is my favourite thing they've done since Sempaternal. Um, I love this EP. Um, I guess what's most interesting, though, is I don't feel like this is Bring Me Sound now. Like, I think there's a genuine chance that the next EP sounds completely different to this because they've got that in their locker. Look at their dexterity. Look at what they have done over the last four years and look at what they are capable of doing at this point. Um, so, so, for me to say that I think the next EP could sound, has the potential to sound completely different to this. Do you think I'm way off the mark or do you think there's actually a decent chance of that? 
No, no, I think I think there's every chance of that. I would actually bet more that the EP sounds completely different than it does the same. Yeah. Um, this is just a reminder that once again, Bring Me can do whatever the fuck they want. Um, they are the the preeminent band of our generation. They are the biggest metal band in the UK. At any point, they can choose to be either the biggest metal band or a leading contender for um, pop music or rock music or whatever they want to be. And that that's it, really. This this EP is an affirmation that they are who they are, and they are they are the the band that moves the needle most for this genre. Look at the look at the rapturous reception. Look at the social media wave that followed the release of this. Yeah, just doesn't happen. There is no other band, no other modern band that transcends the way that Bring Me the Horizon does in the alternative music, and that will continue to happen. And for a band that's taken a lot of shit from the metal community and long uh, taken a lot of shit from the alternative music community, the fact that it's come back to lead it, <laughs> I yeah. think is I think is I think is extraordinary um, because this community has swallowed up lots of good bands before and that hasn't happened here. And I'm, and I'm incredibly glad. I think this is a, a terrific achievement. I really, really do. And I, once again, am looking forward to the next thing that Bring Me The Horizon produces and don't have any qualms or production questions or any insights at all into what it should or would be because they have, they have proven time and time again that the common denominator, whatever it sounds like, is that it's good. Whatever it is, it is good. It has always been good. Um, and that I don't think will change anytime soon. That brings to an end the Noise Podcast episode number 52. However, coming up right next is my interview with Anne from Click Drip. So please stick around for that because uh, she's brilliant and that was a really fascinating interview. Uh, remember to follow us at Noise Podcast on Twitter. Give this uh, video a like and a subscription to us on YouTube or wherever you are listening to us. That would be amazing. Very much appreciate that. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Remember, stick around on my interview with Annie Dorrit comes up right now. We love you. Bye. So I'm now joined by Anne, vocalist of the brilliant Click Drip. Anne, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm amazing. Uh, you've caught me during my week off, and I've caught you during a specifically rare portion of time free for yourself. So, what a Friday to be alive this is. <laughs> I, um, you know, like obviously without the eyes of Bennett for two months now. Have you got bored of talking about it yet? Uh, not quite yet. Not quite yet. Um, it's still pretty because we haven't been able to tour it or anything. I, it's still like a little underwhelming in a way. I'm like, oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> like someone brings it up. I'm like, I forgot about that. Um, so no, I'm not quite bored about talking about it. You know, one of the first things you learn as like when you're doing interviews is to never ask a question that you haven't got an answer for either way it goes. Do you know, I asked you that question then with absolutely no idea what I would say if your response was, actually, I am quite bored of talking about it now. <laughs> All I do is talk about this album. I guess I'd have just shut the interview off straight there, I guess. I wouldn't have known where to go next. That was kind of a rookie mistake. <laughs> That's okay. You got away with it. I, I mean, where do I begin uh, with Click Drip? But I, I suppose maybe the best place to begin would be f f on you, really. Uh, born in Toronto, I believe, or, or at least definitely born in Canada. Yeah, born in Toronto. You know, my understanding is that you moved down to uh, Brighton during uh, university because you specifically chose that you wanted to go to university really far away. Is that, is that correct? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, 
for me, I think people in the UK really romanticise the concept of living in North America. In my old in my old job, I met someone who had come from California, and I was like, "What? You lived in California, and you now lived in Wolverhampton? Why the fuck would you do this? Why would you make that decision?" <laughs> um, but you you specifically wanted to live far away. What what was the determining factor in your decision there? Um, I, I don't get me wrong. I loved Toronto, and I really miss it, and I miss my family, um, especially at this cr- crazy time. It's been like over. It's been almost a year since I've seen like my brother and my dad. Um, so, which is kind of nuts. Um, I know it's normal for some people, uh, but anyway. But my point is, I like Toronto, and um, but I think sometimes you got to leave somewhere to appreciate it. And I sort of just really wanted to kind of like get out by myself and do my own thing, and kind of go just a little far. I don't know. Sometimes you kind of need to do that to figure your things out. Um, also. Uh, my cousin had gone to Ben Brighton, um, and she's doing quite well for herself now. Um, and I really look up to her and think she's an incredible artist. So I kind of was like, oh, well, you did it, so I'm going to try yeah. that. Um, which there was ups and downs about that university. Um, but I'm happy I went because I found a really nice community, and I found the band that I'm in right now. So I, I really love Brighton. I love being in a smaller place. Uh, I, I, I like being in being able to kind of walk everywhere and know where I'm going and feel a bit safer than I did sometimes in a bigger city. Um, although I do really miss it sometimes. Well, this is the thing, right? Like I can't imagine how different Brighton must be to Toronto. Is it literally night and day difference or is there still some kind of cultural similarity somewhere? I wouldn't say night and day, I, uh, but it's, um, and there are a lot of cultural similarities. But it's just like a being in a place that is that massive, you know, and like um, getting, like, I mean, it'd be like kind of like living in London or something, you know, yeah. I, I've never had this kind of community before. Um, and at least, I mean, like I wasn't even legal, legal age to drink in, um, in Toronto before I moved. So I, I, I didn't even have a chance to find that community if there was one. And I'm sure there is, because I've got friends over there that love it too. But I think it is still a little bit different. Were there like internal conversations you were having with yourself choosing the university where it's like, can I actually do this? Because I'm going to be straight up. There is no way when I was 20 years old, I could move to Toronto. It wouldn't be (laughs) physically, I I would not be capable. I was 18. Um, Holy shit. No chance when I was 18. uh, Honestly, uh, I, I was very desperate to get out. I think. Um, So uh, you could have sent me anywhere. <laughs> I probably could have ended up in like Eastbourne or like, I don't know, Hull. I don't really know where these towns are. <laughs> yeah. I'm saying them because people have said they're not. <laughs> no offense to anyone that lives there. Um, but, or I could have ended up in like some little weird place in Canada that I didn't know, like really know where I was going. Um, and I didn't really apply for that many universities. I kind of banked a lot of it on this one. So yeah, I was very, I was very lucky to kind of get in and do what I was doing. Um, yeah. Gonna go really off topic here, as I warned you before we started the interview that I might do occasionally. Um, <laughs> is there actually something of a feud between Canada and the USA? Because you see it dramatized on like South Park and like pro wrestling that there is actually like an, an intrinsic feud between the two countries. Yet every American I've ever met in my life that has always said that it doesn't actually exist. 
to the and does, or if it does exist, it's nowhere near the extent <laughs> that it's portrayed on on uh, national TV shows such as South Park. Obviously, I've never met a Canadian before. Um, so does does it exist for you, or is it this a dramatisation that for some reason we've all just bought into because we don't know any different? I think there's a little bit of of it there. I think it's definitely drama. Like. Uh, made a bigger deal. I cannot say drama dies, dramatization. <laughs> I don't know why I can <laughs> say that word. Uh, anyway, like it's quite funny because I don't think I ever really noticed it until I moved here. I'd be behind the bar and be like, "All right, you yank," and I was like, "Hey, hey, 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 buddy boy!" Like I'm actually Canadian. Um, I think that's just maybe because uh, of some of the laws and some of the politics in America that Canadians are very proud about not having. I mean, we still got our own crap to be honest with you that a lot of people don't really know about. Um, but uh, I don't know, having Donald Trump <laughs> well, yeah. compared to Trudeau, not that Trudeau's a golden star, but if I had to pick one. Um, but uh, I think sometimes maybe for Canadians, it's kind of like that, hey, wait a second. Like, um, but no, like I've been to a, a million places in America, and there's some places in America that I really love. So uh, no, I don't think it's as big as a, as a fight or feud as you'd think normally. But if there is a little proud thing about having that extra kind of like gold star as a Canadian, I think sometimes you're like, we're nice. I'm not nicer. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a massive pro wrestling fan. and like, Bret Hart is like my hero. Um, so like when Bret Hart like is, uh, you know, being interviewed, he's often talking about the, the differences between Canada and America. So with me growing up watching that, I kind of just like assumed that actually you two couldn't walk past, you know, a Canadian and an American couldn't walk past each other in the street. And then obviously as I got older, it turns out that's absolute like nonsense. And it's no different to, I don't know, two different cities generally not liking each other, but really there is actually no intrinsic feud present at all. It's just another example of how media uh, spins nonsense on us, which I'm sure is going to come up again in a short while. Uh, Anna. Um, one of the, I mean, without the eyes, uh, the record that you, you're releasing at the end of August uh, is really dominated by a really strong, brilliant viewpoint. Um, and I, I find that really fascinating because you all met at university. Uh, uh, I believe that's correct. Yeah. Um, university for me was like an incredibly eye-opening experience where like a lot of the views I have now were formed by sharing these three years with this vast different range of people. I grew up, I, I live in a very small city called Wolverhampton. And when I went to university, I was put taken out of this really small kind of bubble of Wolverhampton and put into this massive ocean of different ethnicities and uh, nationalities and um, viewpoints and all this kind of stuff. Did the view, for the views you have now, were they already a part of your thinking as you got to university or have your experiences since turning 18 helped form them? Um, I went to quite a progressive arts high school when I was in Toronto. Um, and I definitely didn't have the views that I have now. I think it took me a really long time. I think there's a part of me that actually really rejected feminism. Um, uh, I don't know whether that's because I had a lot of internal misogyny or because I was apart from a privileged background, but there's a point actually uh, that I won't talk about, but there's a point where um, I think something changed for me. Uh, and then once that did, I got to England and I kind of actually was challenged more by it. 
um, no. by some of my peers. And I think that made me kind of research into more of it. Um, and then that's kind of when I started doing a lot more digging and, and like figuring a lot of things out. And even, it's funny, even like four or five years ago, the conversations that me and my friends are having now are so different than what we had five years ago. Like, like it's not the norm to talk the way we talk now. Um, and I find that very uh, interesting. But anyway, my point is that I think it was almost being in an environment that to some extent wasn't actually that progressive that made me go, oh my God. And then some things happened and I think I just sort of kind of dove in a little bit more. Um, but I definitely being around my band and being around other people that I've met here also kind of made me a lot more of an empathetic person and a little bit, uh, I don't know, more willing to do the work. Like Scott and his wife, actually, Alice, um, are this really lovely, lovely couple. And uh, she's an amazing woman. And having conversations with the two of them actually opened up my eyes about a lot of things. Um, so that that's quite interesting. If that answers your question. Sorry, that was a bit of a yeah, now it does. <laughs> no, now, now it does. I mean, I think that experience broadens the mind more than almost anything else, right? Like, yeah. Like for me, had I not have gone to university, I kind of worry about what my viewpoint would be on some things because I was so shielded before I went to university. Like growing up, my parents taught me. Just be nice to everyone. Unless someone's trying to hurt you, let them be them, and that's cool, right? So, like, yeah. I, I I didn't grow up with any kind of angst or hatred or negative uh, stereotypical opinions about anyone, really. But mm-hmm. And that's the bubble that I lived in. And then when I got to university, and I'm kind of thrown into these, like, hundreds of students that are all really different to me, that's where I, I met a lot of people there at university, which really helped me understand more like the different side of opinions. Like when I was 18 years old, I didn't understand what feminine, what feminism was or what the need for it was for me personally. Cause I was like, well, I, I accept everyone. So why doesn't everyone accept everyone? Why do we need it? <laughs> yeah. do, you know, do you know what I mean? And yeah, then totally. I mean, like, I don't even think I really understood the full extent of it as eight, at 18. I'm not sure I understand the full extent of it now, but I mean, that's a lie. I think I do, but still there's <laughs> things that like still need to learn. <clears throat> Uh, well, exactly that, right? So, like, I'm nowhere near egotistical enough to be like, I understand feminism. I understand everything that a, a woman could possibly go through. The truth is, I don't at all, really. Um, but that experience, like, of meeting someone that could give me that other side of the opinion, was vastly important for me. And I'm assuming it was vastly important for yourself as well. Just by the way you spoke to me, just yes, no, for sure, yes. Um the little fire in your belly sometimes it's <laughs> you gotta you gotta figure it out um and i think having those people around you makes uh yeah makes the world a difference you know people don't have that and that's kind of why i don't know why people think the way they think i guess to put it shortly <laughs> was, shortly you know was there um was there a point in time where you started to realize oh I really, really legitimately care about this almost more than anything else in the world right now. As opposed, to, <laughs> as opposed to it just being something you kind of had an interest in. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if that came... I'm not sure I could... I'm not sure I could pinpoint it because I think there's a few things that kind of made me like turn my head a little bit. Um... 
but there's been moments where I've been like I've kind of gone back and forth with it um and I think uh yeah there's been bigger moments than other moments if that makes sense (laughs) um and unfortunately a lot of those moments were things that discriminated against me as a woman and I think obviously you know something happens you you're gonna get you're gonna feel actually it probably affected me almost more um because i think oh my interconnection my, my connection is unstable can you still hear me yeah i can still hear you yeah you did go okay, for a couple sorry. of seconds you did drop for a couple of seconds but you're back now okay um so i was just saying that like i think some of the things that happened to my friends uh actually probably affected me more in a way because sometimes when it happens to you you kind of just bury it sometimes but when something's happened to you and then you watch it again something happened to <clears throat> Uh, someone you know, I think sometimes that almost hits harder because you're you're so wary of it. Um, yeah, if that helps explain that question. <laughs> my answer is no. <laughs> as as important as it is for the person to start researching, understanding cultural history in, in regards to feminism, like how important do you think it is to also have the kind of support network? that would be willing to have those conversations with you uh, for example um i don't know let's say you you've 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 got you going in this viewpoint of the issues uh with mainstream feminism and if you haven't got the support network present that would be open to discussing intersectional feminism or what the issue is with mainstream feminism then perhaps you can never actually create a strong enough viewpoint that you truly understand right because you've never you haven't got someone to bounce those thoughts off that will give you a, a, an interesting opinion back do you think the support network that you've got around you is almost as important as discovering the viewpoint yourself I do and I don't. This is a really difficult question and I've actually debated with a lot of people for the past few months, especially around like the Black Lives Matter um, movement and all the protests going on. I think it's really important that people around you that want to have this conversation and challenge you, but you also shouldn't be relying on people's experiences and their emotional labor to educate you all of the time. It's not my job to educate my guy friends. It's not black people's job to educate white people. It's Mm. not queer people to educate straight people. Like I don't, it's not, it shouldn't be our job. I think it's unfortunate because most of the things that happen to us as individuals, we care because they've happened to us as individuals and we care because somebody clicked in our brain or we felt something or someone spoke to you and it made you feel a certain way. So it's going to make you want to learn. But I think it's unfortunate that that's at the expense of a lot of people. Like I, and I, I don't mean to sound harsh, but I really do think some of my guy friends are very lucky to have me and some of my girlfriends around because we have honed it in time after yeah. time, after drink, after drink after fight and a lot of them really agree with me and I think a lot, I'm quite proud of a lot of them but they did not get there on not arguing back and they did not get there on like not having those conversations from real people I think a lot of them do their own research now and I think a lot of them are really good people but uh, it's, it's tiring sometimes I'm just like I don't want to talk about this but I can't not talk about this because you brought it up and I think people have to understand that sometimes that you shouldn't always rely on someone else's emotional labor just because like you were too lazy to look it up online especially when you're an educated you were not an educated person but when you have the resources like the internet is not that hard to find things on or or ask me or ask me instead of having that argument like ask me what books you want to read ask me what articles I've read that you might find interesting instead of me actually sitting there for an hour and I know that's not how arguments work and sometimes it just happens naturally and I really do think they're important they're just not important all the freaking time 
That's a really fascinating point, you know, like, and this is what I mean, like, there's still so much for me to learn. Like, I never even really thought about it in that context for yourself, like, because you've got such a strong viewpoint, you're probably just like some kind of mental battering ram, right, where everyone's just like throwing these opinions at you. Annie, what do you think about this? all the time and that i can imagine that would get really really tiring sometimes you do just want to talk about bullshit but <laughs> you've got everyone talking to you about what do you think about this or what do you think about this Annie? what do you think about this i'd imagine that would get quite frustrating actually yeah and you know sometimes it's like i don't know i don't even sometimes I'm, i might not necessarily disagree with them or like i might not i might have something to learn and sometimes i'm like well i don't really know who i am to give advice i mean i try my best to express things and empower people and especially make women feel validated for feeling the way they're feeling I think that's what I most try and do with my music but I don't know I'm not really <laughs> I, I yeah I don't know how much advice I should be allowed to give I don't know how much advice a lot of people should be allowed to give to be honest with you um but it, it is important to have those conversations I know that's like a bit of a big statement to say but uh because people are impressionable young people are impressionable yeah. like uh, you know you, why do we think you we take our parents' word for friggin', uh, like, um, I don't know what the word is. Like gospel. Uh, gospel, thank you. Um, because those are people you look up to, and those are what you think as a kid, and that sticks with you. And what your auntie tells you, that really good advice at one time, and it sticks with you, you know? And things are, or your teachers, it, it, like, it, it does stick with us. Um, so I think we have to be careful sometimes. We're going to talk about uh, the Without the Eyes album artwork. Now, you've spoken about it a million times, so uh, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to force you to talk about it again. However, um, an interesting part of it, I did just want to um, kind of explore my perspective uh, when I first saw it. I said to you before we started the interview, uh, we've got an incredibly talented uh, writer called Dan Hillier uh, that writes for Noise. And he'd said in the group chat, you got to listen to Click Drip, they're amazing. And I was like, yeah, I'll put that into the other 300 bands that get recommended to me every day that I need to listen to kind of pile. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, <laughs> and then obviously the album is soon coming out. So I'm like, right, okay, there's an album coming out. So I, I actually have, I will definitely listen now. Um, I clicked on the album when it got put into the inbox and I saw the artwork and I was like, holy shit. Um, that's that's quite that, that that's quite a statement. And then a couple of seconds later, I thought, actually, is it a statement? Because it doesn't actually show any sexual part of the body. The only person sexualizing this image is me. Uh, and then I started. I, then I went down. The, I mean, I haven't even pressed play on the fucking album yet. And, I, and then then I started going down this rabbit hole of like, well, where have I got my ideas of sexual connotations from? You know, um, why am I, why would I look at this and not see one actual sexual body part, no genitalia, nothing, and assume that it's a statement? Are you making this sexual? I'm assuming that's the exact type of emotion you were trying to evoke. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, you got the nail on the head there. I mean, yeah. it is, it is a statement. Like, you're not going to walk past it in a record shop. I'm not, I'm not ignoring that, but I guess it's just kind of, yeah, the, the questionable why is it a statement or why is this not normalized? Because if it was everywhere or Instagram, let us put friggin' nipples on the internet, then it wouldn't be that big of a statement. There's not even any nipples in there. Everyone freaks out of the pubic hair. Like that's their, their main concern. Instagram yeah. won't even let us like actually promote it sometimes. Um, we get like big, uh, get big warnings about promoting the album cover um, because of the pubic hair. <laughs> Which yeah, I think crazy. is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah, you you got it. And I'll, you know, I'm glad you had such a nice word with yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got to say, you gave me this internal torment that lasted about 25 minutes, and I haven't even listened. <laughs> at that point, I hadn't even listened to the album. But and all, you oh know, God, you must have felt terrible after you listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> like I. And I thought that was like so important, like because in in the digital age, you know, album artwork, it re- you know, there are cool pieces of album artwork out there, but really, I mean, album artwork is it's almost like fifth on the list, really, of most important things when you're putting a record together now. Like it, it's not the same as when I was 13 years old and I would walk into my local music store and be like, which album looks cool? I'll pick that one up. Do you know what I mean? Because obviously yeah. the concept never is I go on Spotify and listen to it first and I'll find out if I like it kind of thing. Um, yeah. It's genuine. That The album artwork for Without the Eyes is genuinely, I think, the most important album artwork I can remember in recent memory. Um, it, wow. It, it gave me a perspective that I had never even thought about. And like I said, I hadn't even listened to the album at this point. <laughs> um, and and then that, that actually leads on quite well to something else I wanted to discuss with you, actually. Um, I love albums that challenge me, you know. I mean, I love I love easy listening music as well. But I don't know whether you heard Caligula by Lingua Ignota last year. Yeah, yeah. Um, holy, holy shit. Like, I, I don't think I've ever listened to that album all the way through in one sitting, you know. Um, I don't think I have either, actually. It's quite, uh, uh, it's, yeah. It's, a lot of it's difficult. Um, but it's amazing, brilliant, like, genius in, in a lot of areas. Um, stage four by Touche Amore, you know, again, a fucking amazing album, but it's the saddest thing I've ever heard. I can't listen to it in one sitting. Um, is that the bare minimum you wanted from Without the Eyes, just to create a challenge and anything else is a bonus? Um, I don't know. I, I think a lot of those songs like I, we wrote... I don't know. It's a long, it's a long process. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, a lot of it wasn't even a challenge. A lot of it was more honestly just cathartic for me. Uh, and a lot of it was like em- empowering in a sense where like, I wanted to make music that validated other women's feelings. Um, because I think sometimes we speak about sexism in our daily lives and it's not really believed or it's not heard. Or like you said, sometimes, and like modern day feminism, it's all about microaggressions. It's not really about the heavily black and white kind of thing. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of where I where I stemmed from it. And then it, some of the lyrics and some of the things came challenging and came confrontational. Um, I'm not a very confrontational person. Well, I, I can be if I've had a drink, but <laughs> not the most. Um, so I think a lot of this album for me, like lyrically, um, was, was saying a lot of things that maybe I haven't said in person or, or would like to say. Um, and I think for Scott and Daphne was like making music that was just different uh, and kind of out there um, and just create like a, a one, a one whole little piece of, of new, of new styles. <laughs> sorry, I, went on, like, I went off there a little bit. No, please. Um, but sorry, that's kind of what I meant. Like, I don't think that I didn't, I didn't make it to be a dick or to challenge anybody or kind of like even, even the name, you know, Kutcher didn't come from us trying to be like really edgy. We thought it was funny and we did a joke and then everyone got really offended by it. And we're like, okay, well, we're going to keep it because it's ridiculous. Everyone's getting so offended by it. Um, 
and that's kind of the same thing on the album almost I think we did it because we like doing it we like making music and we like uh, kind of being out there um, and then some of the confrontation kind of came along with it um, but it is quite natural and maybe that's what makes it good I don't know I don't even know if it's good but <laughs> <laughs> oh no it is it's fucking great it's fucking great. I don't mean to embarrass you but it is fucking tremendous um, that's very kind you know Annie, the vocalist of Click Drip, sounds like this fucking soup, like kind of superpower of real, like guts and really kind of this kind of like personality that you just got this unbelievable amount of like respect for, and it's got no fear. And this is what I think, and and I don't care whether you agree. This is what I believe. You know, very classic punk kind of thing. Is Annie, the vocalist of Click Drift, the same Annie that's sitting talking to me in a room now, um, or ah. is, is that like a personality <laughs> that you have to grow into as you as you become the performer? Um, I think I'm becoming more like that, uh, which is nice. Um, but no, uh, I'm not necessarily. I think my all my beliefs are the same, and I yeah. definitely. I can get a bit rowdy and I'm definitely known for being a little bit eggy and aggro sometimes and very emotional and very expressive. Um, but I'm uh, a little bit of a people pleaser, I'd say. Um, and I always kind of try and see both sides of the story. So no, I'm not actually as confrontational as I would say on stage, but you know, I'm learning to kind of, I, like I'd like to be like that. And that's why it's such a big deal for me. I think I'd like to be able to just kind of, um, you know, say no and put up boundaries uh, and speak up more but I'm, I'm getting there i'm working at it and i think that's kind of what i was trying to do for other people i guess uh maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of really fascinating to me that despite you scott and daphne all coming from such different backgrounds i mean, I mean even musically uh, scott's got like an instrumental background hasn't he um mm-hmm. yeah click, click drip for me couldn't possibly exist without all three of those elements coming together, you know, it's almost as if Click Drip couldn't exist anywhere else in the world apart from right now in Brighton. Do you think that's, like, fair to say? Uh, I think, yeah, I do. I do. Um, I think we're all very different and have very different music tastes and are all such little odd individuals. Um, But it just kind of works. But I think it works because we all contribute different aspects and do it. you know, if, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, in terms of like the writing process, is it difficult to hone all those wide variety of aspects together into one package? Because the idea of, oh, we'll be like an electro pop slash punk like indie band, that sounds fucking great. But then when that actually comes into practice and you've got to put all those, <laughs> all those heads on the same snake, that, would imagine would be an incredible challenge did it feel does it feel that way during the writing process it's hard sometimes i think there's some days where like we get in a room and we don't actually have any any ideas and it just sort of like flows and a song pops out and we're like oh how did that happen and there's some days like we have so many ideas and we get in a room and like we just can't like finish more than a 30 second jam because it's we're like trying quite hard or it's like too outrageous to connect with the other thing that's too outrageous um i we actually just started practicing for the first time in a really long time because obviously because of the pandemic and then daph was away in greece for a little bit so we've only just started writing again um and it was funny i said to my friend the other day uh i was like oh i forget how hard it is to like 
right over this music. <laughs> I, was like, <laughs> I was like, this is nuts. I was like, it's even more nuts than it used to be. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. Um, but but when it clicks, it just friggin' clicks, and it like it feels uh, incredible to get that. But yeah, no, it is it is difficult. But um, I think when we get it, it it's like such a nice feeling. And like Daph and Scott are such incredible musicians. Like yeah. Daph is just such a tasteful drummer uh, and such a powerful drummer as well. Like it's just such a nice combo. Um, and Scott's like a little genius from I don't know where from from, from Southampton. <laughs> um, but he's just. Yeah, he's incredible. And some of the stuff that he comes up with, and he always has the ideas. His brain is always running. I'm like, I don't know how he does it. Whereas, like, for me, you know, I, I get my inspiration off of them, whereas they're pulling it up from thin air, you know? So uh, they really are kind of like the backbone. Because um, I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be like, hit that chord and that odd pedal over there. Like, I, I wouldn't. I can play a bit of guitar. But as far as, like, structures and things like that, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> or, like, drums. I think one of the things that I love about Click Trip so much is that it's very much 33 and a third percent each. Uh, and, and, you know, what I mean by that is, like, usually with trios, that there is usually, like, a member that really kind of takes the lead and that without, without that member that everything would, would fall apart. Like, you know, I love Biffy Clyro. Uh, I adore Biffy Clyro. But really, without Simon Neal on vocals, it, it would be a tough time for them. But with Clitrip, actually, for me, I think everyone is as vital as the person next to them, uh, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, no, totally. Uh, I, like, sometimes I turn around when I'm not singing and I just, like, watch Daphne. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, or, like, or, like, there was one time we were filming this live session, actually, um, and... I wasn't singing at one point and they were just playing and I was just looking at Scott's feet and I was just like, Oh my God, I didn't know how much work you did. I was like, this is crazy. <laughs> I didn't really like notice watching him like a few full, like few songs watching his feet just go, bow, 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 you know, I was like, that's nuts. <clears throat> I can't even like hit my head on the, and rub my stomach at the same time. I was like, that's wild. Well, the, the 33 and a third percentage actually uh, is, becomes very, prominent basically as soon as the record starts kind of outside of the intro uh because i don't want to go to the gym is is fucking brilliant um and without without that kind of really really weird like electro funky vibe that gets put through it by scott uh your lyrics might not impact the you know the same and then without uh daffy's really like highly servicing drum beat behind it is the same and that song you know, I'm making it kind of seem after talking about the album artwork that this album, your album, without the eyes, uh, kind of like tormented me <laughs> for like 30 minutes. But yeah. the, the, this track again, you know, I'm an avid gym goer, um, and <laughs> and I I listened to to that song, and I genuinely, you know, I'm questioning to myself where my desire for going in the first place came from. And you know, the truth is that it's absolutely a construct of society that tells me that certain body types are preferable to others. Now, I, I enjoy going to the gym um, and, you know, listening to the song didn't make me want to stop or anything like that. But it's a, it's a conversation that doesn't get have, had enough, really, is it? Because for some, you know, I've been convinced over, you know, I'm 27. So I've been convinced from my, what, 20 years of watching TV that, oh, yeah, man, if you've got like, you know, a, a big chest and nice looking abs, then that's great. You know, that's amazing. You, you know, you, you, you're the atypical perfect person. And that's just not the case at all, is it? 
yeah no it's funny like i've had a few comments about that song people are like well why did you get it I, was like, I didn't say it wasn't good i just yeah. said that like i think it's very good for your mental health i think it's good to be healthy everyone i mean if you can you should try and be healthy um but it was that kind of idea of like i had a regular one time my last work tell me that he thought i should uh, made a joke about me putting on weight and then made another joke about me going to the gym and that's kind of where that came from yeah. um and i was like i don't have time to go to the gym i mean like i'm sure i could squeeze an hour in there but i was like if you understood how free and busy i was i was like i'm on my feet all day like leave me alone but it was just it was such a specific comment and i just and i think it's that thing of like i don't know i know a lot of people that really hate going or just <laughs> it's yeah exactly it's a thing of just wanting to get that like slimmer arms or slimmer abs or bigger booty or whatever um and i don't really know if it's for yourself or, or not or even just to go go to the gym just to be healthy rather than to look a certain way and there's again there's nothing wrong with wanting to do that i just don't need rick at the friggin bar telling me that on a saturday morning i mean i i don't i don't think i'd need rick telling me at any point <laughs> to be honest um, so <laughs> I, I think yeah. you've handled that particularly well um and i, I think you make a great point there where like nowhere in the song do you say that going is a bad thing. Uh, and I think that, I mean, from what I've seen, the reaction to without the eyes has been overwhelmingly positive as it should be. Um, but I think that sometimes context, uh, especially with lyrics is like quite important because if someone just looked at that song uh, and didn't really pay attention, they would think that was your attack on gyms, so that gyms shouldn't exist, right? Have you had anyone that's really kind of misunderstood the point entirely and been like, well, you, you know, you're claiming that we should stand up for this right, but you're taking away my right? Has anyone really misunderstood yet? I'm sure maybe it's coming uh, one day, if not already. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think if you listen to the whole song. It's funny, somebody on a podcast, like, uh, I forget what it was, someone was like made a big joke but like i don't want to do that like i look i like made a funny joke but i was like i don't really know why you're making a joke out of it just to be like crappy i was like you and me both know that's not what it means so i don't know why you needed to make a comment about it but anyway um i thought that was kind of funny yeah uh because i even say in the song i'm like i want to look like 2001 jennifer anderson you know what i mean yeah, like, yeah. i got i got i got dreams too <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah like i don't know anyway um no not crazy comments not that i know i've just seen people kind of making jokes about it but i was like well if you actually did listen it's, you, you wouldn't have made a joke so i don't know if you're just trying to get a rise or if you don't didn't fully understand of it understand it but yeah it hasn't been too negative so far <clears throat> uh, time has absolutely flown by here um and all of a sudden we've got to the point where like i'm almost starting to uh, run out of time with you so uh, just uh, just a couple of uh, things that i wanted to look into uh, with you before we go um your actual outlook on intersectional feminism uh, is again another really fascinating aspect of everything that clip drip is and everything that you are um and for, for me, it's not until the term was actually discussed with me by someone that I went to university with that I really started thinking about it. Um, was there a, a specific moment for you or was there any kind of news story that you saw run or anything like that that made you really start questioning the limited mainstream view of, of quote-unquote standardised feminism? Um, I don't know. I think it has to do with a lot of some books I read, to be honest with you. Uh, and oh i like not just black women but also like a lot of trans women and kind of yeah. turfs and this idea that you know there's a lot of second wave feminists and older feminists um that kind of protect this idea of femininity 
and hate and I kind of hate uh, trans women because I think they're going to take away this idea so I'm going to need from them um, and I found that really interesting so I kind of delve back into that uh, it's not that I don't understand those women and I don't understand where their opinions come I just think that they're ignorant and I think a lot of those opinions are coming from women that are quite educated in the first place and used to be radical that I find it hard that they haven't got past that or how they're not doing the work to get past that so which makes me think that like femininity and like those labels are so ingrained to us to the point where like we're so protective of them or in quite like it's internalized feelings towards them and that's why they act that way but it doesn't make it okay and it's quite hateful to be honest I don't really care what anybody says like oh everyone's entitled to their opinion it is hateful but, um to deny someone's existence like that so yeah I think um I think that was a big thing for me and then uh, just just doing some more reading and just knowing that like wow like even as a white woman uh, who, who grew up with a pretty good background like I you know I haven't experienced half the things that my peers have um, and if I'm able if I'm able to speak about my own oppression and act as an oppressor then I should be kind of relearning things and doing the work because I don't really like it when people do it to be itself yeah. <laughs> but I think that's also like the, the almost amazing thing about being a white woman is because you can uh, you can really re- relearn these things. And because you know what it's like to be oppressed, you have the ability to acknowledge your own behaviors. Yeah, someone said to me before, uh, again, I, I was much younger at the time. Uh, someone said, are you a feminist, Chris? And I said, uh, well, I don't think so. And I, I, was, I, I wouldn't say so. And they said, well, do you believe in equality for all? And I said, yeah. So they were like, well, you're a feminist, right? And I was like, yeah. well, uh, yes, actually, I, I suppose that I am. But, you know, and that's, kind of like that young me had feminism misunderstood with someone who would stand on the street with a placard holding up do you know what I mean um mm-hmm. and actually, no, no, actually, I get it. actually it's much deeper than that um and I, sometimes I, th- I feel like um the exploration of feminism doesn't hasn't gone deep enough to show the the finer workings of it and you mentioned reading books that i believe someone at university mentioned to you a book by someone called roxanne guy um if yeah. i remember the name correctly have you read much of her readings yeah she's one of my favorite authors right. probably i think her, i think her book a few of her books actually really is what got me into it in the first place um actually she's incredible yeah the the person that i met at university kind of like really gave me this really kind of like expansive um look on the deeper workings of feminism and stuff and it, again it really really helped me because i'd grown up in this little bubble where for me every, as long as you're not trying to hurt me you be you and that's cool whatever whatever being you means uh, and i didn't understand you know just the the terrible inner workings what it, what it's like to be uh, a woman and intersectional feminism obviously is massively important as well because as we've discussed mainstream feminism generally tends to put one specific uh, demographic <laughs> of feminism yeah. in your face yeah. and kind of ignores every other type of feminism that it could possibly be exactly i mean when i was 16 someone called me a feminist in my class i was like oh i don't i don't want that label because like i don't want to like be mean to men i'm pretty sure yeah. i did that at one point and like I, which embarrasses me quite a bit to this day <laughs> but <laughs> i just didn't really understand what it meant and i think again like people try to demonize this thing so much um whereas like feminism is also an advocate for young men as well as an advocate for pretty much everybody if you actually look into it or if you do or if you're researching it properly you know like i we want to help like class and race and and everything in between that's why it's called intersectional feminism but if you're only helping like white middle class cis women, uh, then you're not really helping anybody else, are you? 
I am uh, just going to leave off uh, with this before I let you go to your incredibly busy life, Annie. Um, <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm not that busy. <laughs> but... <clears throat> I'm like I'm, my feeling for like two hours last <laughs> <time>. <laughs> Sorry, continue. I'm like uh, you know I'm a, a white straight guy, so I'm like the walking embodiment of white privilege. No one has ever <laughs> no no one has ever um, subjected me to any kind of discrimination against my race, uh, my gender, or my sexuality. Um, so it's very very difficult for me. Uh, I do my best, but it's very difficult for me to understand really um, what it's like to be uh, objectified. And, you know, in some areas, we seem to be making, you know, good good strides towards a more equal society. But, you know, we're struggling in others. For example, what you were just saying about um, being objectified by a guy at the bar who's like, oh, Annie, you should go to the gym, which is just fucking bullshit. Um, and there's that, the, you know, <laughs> I get embarrassed by straight men on every day, unfortunately. You know, okay, <laughs> I feel guilty for being a straight man almost every day because of the actions of other straight men. Um, and I don't think, but just to put in there too, sorry to cut you off. I don't, I think that's something we struggle with and I sometimes struggle with as a white woman, but I don't think guilt is necessarily the best feeling to have anymore because I mean, like it isn't really your fault, but that that happened to you. I I don't think there's anything wrong with like accepting that you're privileged. It's just, it's not denying it. It's just being like, okay, well, I'm going to use this privilege to help other people. You know, I'm going to yeah. use it to my advantage and, and, and figuring that out. And that's something I've kind of had to struggle with because I think I get really bad feelings of guilt, but it's not really a productive feeling. I think Monroe broke doors at that one time and it really stuck with me because you can't just feel bad for yourself all the time, you know? Yeah. Sorry, that wasn't necessarily to you, but I think I've done that before as well. So I was just saying in general, I think that's something that we have to work through. No, that's a great point to make. Um, and I, I absolutely agree. Uh, there's, there's that like narrative that I do unfortunately tend to come across a lot on social media. Where it's like, well, not all men, you know, I, I, I don't think there's probably anything worse to see than that. Those three words, not all men, because for a star, you're not giving a number. So for all we know, it's 99% of men and it's only 1% down. Um, and secondly, like that does absolutely nothing to help the issue. Right. Um, no, the the crux of of the que- of my question that I was going to put to you is, um, is it purely an educational slant that needs to be given to the upcoming generations, or is there something more to this as well? Where we, because like I said, in some areas it, there does seem to be good strides being made towards more equality, but we're struggling in others. Um, you know, rape convictions are incredibly low to cases reported. You know, that's just one example. Mm-hmm. Um, are we purely struggling on education here or is there something bigger at work? Oh, you know, I'm not expected to have the, all the answers, but just your opinion. Are we, is there something more to it than just education? I mean, long story short, capitalism. Um, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is funny because I always tell my friends, don't use that as your short answer. But um, because at the end of the day, like I don't know when that's going to be fixed or anytime that's going to happen anytime soon. So the small things that we can do are what's important for our kids or, or your friend's kids, or if you don't want to have kids, your, your brother's kids, uh, sister's yeah. kids, I don't know. And, but I, I think education is the main thing or and resources for everyone because um, it's not really only certain kids that people have those resources um, and those privileges in the first place. I guess equal opportunity as a younger kid um, or as a younger child. Uh, and just normalizing things the best that you can within your friendship group and within like your companies and your workplaces uh, and, and the way you use social media. 
you know, social media is a massive part of our life now, especially for uh, people who grew up with it and the way that we use it and the way that we kind of talk to each other. Um, it's just sort of like nor- normalizing good kind of behavior or open discussion. I know there's a lot of conversation around like cancel culture and, and calling people out and stuff, but I don't know. I think as long as you're kind about it and you admit to being wrong sometimes, um, yeah. So just having those conversations as much as you possibly can, I think. Uh, and and doing the work, you know? If you have the time to do your work, not everybody has the time to do the work, but if you have the time to do the work, do the work. Anne, uh, <laughs> this sense. is, it, it makes all the sense <laughs> in the world. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, uh, this, has been, this has been awesome. Uh, thank you so much. I've been waiting since the second I've finished uh, the record. Uh, to uh, get to talk to you so uh, two months and that was absolutely worth the wait uh, thank you uh, for your time uh, that was really tremendous insight uh, for me like I said um, I've still got a lot to learn and I'm sure many of the listeners um, I'm sure everyone has in general um, so thank you so much for your time that was awesome uh, without the eyes is thank brilliant you. and I appreciate every minute of your time today yeah thank you so much for letting me speak um, and it was very nice I very much enjoyed that take care Bye.